welcome to the UGA BCM podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the UGA BCM right on campus in Athens, Georgia. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 through 14. Last week we talked about the fact that Jesus is the promised Son of Man in Matthew chapter 26, verse 63 through verse 67. This week we're going to see that He's the powerful Son of Man. Ultimately, what we're seeing here is what is so special about the fact that Jesus is the promised Son of Man. So beginning in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 through verse 14, the Bible says this. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a Son of Man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Let's go ahead and pray tonight. Lord, we ask you, Lord, as we look at this passage tonight, that you will help us to see, Lord, that you are the powerful Son of Man. And so, Lord, when you said and called yourself the Son of Man, Lord, even as we saw last week when Caiaphas questioned who you were uh, after your arrest and before your crucifixion, Lord, you told him that he asked if you were the Son of God, you said, it's as you say, And then you also explain that you're the Son of Man and everything that came with that promise. So, Lord, help us tonight to see that, Lord, that promise comes with some great power. And so, Lord, help us tonight to see that that power is something that we can hold on to in our lives and that we can, Lord, uh, just, Lord, in times of difficulty and times of need, be reminded of how great you are. And so, Lord, we love you and we praise you and we ask you just to bless us tonight as we look at your word and recognize who you are. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so here in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 through verse 14, and then we're going to flip over also to Matthew chapter 24, and actually Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31. We see that first of all, that Jesus is, as the powerful son of man, has power over all the nations. Or in other words, he has power over all sovereignties. Y'all notice I took that word nations and changed it to sovereignty, so it started with an S. Y'all got that? Little, little preacher trick, right? And so we see that he has power over all sovereignties. In verse 14, it says this. It says, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. If you all remember when we started this study on who is Jesus, we talked about the fact that he was the son of David. And that he, had the rightful, he was the rightful heir to the physical throne, the earthly throne of the son of David. But more importantly, he was the spiritual heir. Uh, he was the prophesied heir to the throne of David that was actually promised to David's sons. Because while those on earth thought that the throne that was promised to David's sons would be an earthly throne, we really went back and we looked at the prophecies and the promises that were made to David. And what we were told is that his sons would actually sit on a throne in which they would have dominion and their kingdom would be forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Does that make sense? All right. And so here, when we see that Jesus is the son of man, we see that with that brings some power and that power is over all sovereignties. That's why it says there that to him was given dominion, glory and a kingdom. Now, if you remember what Daniel was doing here in chapter seven, we talked a little bit about this a week before last or was it last week? When did I preach last week? Or, yeah, because then the week before that was Nolan. Um, and, and what we found in, in Daniel chapter 7 and really in a, a chunk of Daniel there is that Daniel is prophesying about the things to come, right? He's prophesying about the end times. And so uh, here he's telling us that Jesus is going to return and it's going to look like he's returning on a cloud. And, and he says he's going to appear as the son of man. 
And so when Jesus returns, the point that he's making is, is the same point that Jesus was making and the same point that even David was making when he was talking about the prophecy that was given of his sons. And that is, is that ultimately the dominion that Jesus has, the rule that Jesus has, the sovereignty that Jesus has when it comes to all nations will last forever and ever and ever. It will ultimately be eternal. Now, if you flip over and you look at Matthew, you can find exactly, again, what Jesus is talking about. Because in Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 29, listen to what it says. It says, But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give his light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heaven will be shaken, and the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. This is Jesus talking, by the way. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels and a great trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the end of the sky to the other. And so here we see in chapter 24, not only that Jesus is, uh, has power over all the sovereignties, but you also see that Jesus has power over the sun, the moon, and the stars. You also see that he has power over the sun, the moon, and the stars. It literally says that in verse 29. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. The truth of the matter is, is that when Jesus calls himself the son of man and he references his appearing at the end times, ultimately what Jesus is telling us is that not only does Jesus have power over all the nations and over all dominion and all sovereignties, but ultimately Jesus has power over all nature, over the sun, the moon and the stars. Now, I want you to think about that for just a second, if you can. I want you to think about the fact that, that when you uh, look uh, at how this world works, what, what Jesus is saying is that what we would normally see happening with the stars and the sun and the moon in the sky, those things that happen on a cycle every day and those things that happen on a cycle every year, right? Those things, he says, even God has power over those. Even Jesus has power over those. Jesus himself says it. He says, and so therefore the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will literally fall from the sky. Now what's interesting is, is that you can look back in story after story in the Old Testament, and you can find places in which we see that sure enough, there were miracles that occurred in which these natural phenomena occurred, in which it, it was counter to what the rules of, of the world would tell us should happen when it comes to the rules of law, or the laws of nature and physics and so forth. And so it's a quick reminder to us to, to just know that, listen, God has a plan. And that plan involves ultimately at the return of Jesus as the Son of Man. What that involves is, is that ultimately is that he will rule and reign over everything. And not only that he will rule and reign over all people and all kingdoms and all dominions, but ultimately that he will also rule and reign over all of nature. Which when you go back to Genesis, guess what we realize when we read Genesis, and then we go all the way to Revelation. Here's what we find out. This is really kind of neat. God created the heavens and the earth, right? And everything he created, he said that it was what? Do y'all remember if you read Genesis? It was what? It was good. But then sin entered into the world, and when sin entered into the world, it messed literally everything up, right? Right? When sin entered into the world, we had to begin to deal with the consequences of that sin, Right? And so what happens is, is you have man that has fallen and, and we're predisposed to sin. And, and ultimately, every single one of us are messed up and sinful, fallen, broken individuals. But what you also see is the fact 
that the, that the Bible tells us in Genesis that, that man will have to toll in the garden, right? That, that, that man has to deal with not only his own brokenness, but his sin even affects nature. His sin even affects nature. So the image that we're given here, when it talks about Jesus being the Son of Man and having sovereignty over and power over all sovereignties, all dominion, all kingdoms, all man, but also having power over the sun, the moon, and even the stars, and even it says the earth itself will shake, we're reminded that Jesus also has power over nature. Now, why is that important? Because guess what we're promised is going to happen one day when Jesus returns? We're promised that ultimately, at the end of everything, he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Where things will once again be as they were in the garden, which was, what did he say they were? Good. Good. The redemption that comes through the death, burial, and resurrection and ultimate return of Jesus Christ is not just for his people. For not only will we reign forever and ever and ever with him and worship him forever and ever and ever in a perfect body, in a resurrected body, the Bible tells us, but also we will do it ultimately in a new heaven and a new earth created once again to be good. That which is broken, he will redeem, he will fix he will make new. And so when he says he's the son of man, and he talks about the fact that the son of man will have dominion over everyone and everything, all sovereignties and the sun, moon, and stars, and nature itself, we can hold on to that as the promise that Jesus has a plan of redemption not only for his people, but for all of his creation. But for all of his creation. Now, I don't know about you, but that's pretty good. That's pretty good. You ever gotten frustrated or discouraged because you live in a broken, sinful world? You ever looked around you at all the sin that's out there? You ever had a friend who, who you, you thought loved Jesus? Like you really believed that. And then all of a sudden, whether maybe it was in high school, maybe it was this year, maybe it was last year in college or whatever, and you have a conversation with them and you realize that, that they're doing that whole deconstruction thing, right? Where they're beginning to question what it is they believe or, or maybe they begin to make terrible choices uh, and sinful choices in the world. And, 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 and before you know it, like their life's just in a mess. You ever been there and seen a friend do that? It's heartbreaking, isn't it? It's heartbreaking. And, and, and in those moments, if we're not careful, what happens is, is we can become discouraged. But we can hold on to the promise that Jesus is the Son of Man, the one whom we worship, the one who brings us salvation, the one who died for us, the one that rose three days later. Like, he's still in control, guys. He's got this. And while things around us are still broken and, 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 and nations are fighting and there's so much conflict in this world and, and we deal with the effects and the brokenness of our sin, the bottom line is, is that Jesus as the Son of Man has power over all those things. He does. He has power over all those things. So Jesus has power over all the sovereignties in the world. He has power over the sun, the moon, and the stars, all of nature. And then we see, flip over to Mark chapter 2, verse 5 through 12. By the way, I'm not proof texting here. I'm explaining to you a bunch of different verses and I'm taking a quick snapshot instead of going through all of them because it'd take us all day. We could do like a whole seminary class on it. We're not going to do that. Of different places where Jesus calls himself the Son of Man or others refer to him as the Son of Man and what that tells us about his nature and who he has power over, what he has power over. Mark chapter 2, check out verse 5 through verse 12. Now this is, uh, I'll just begin reading in verse 1. 
When he had come back from Capernaum several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home, and many were gathered there, so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof about him, or above him. And when they had dug on the opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Time out for just a second. Y'all remember like three weeks in a row that I've preached? I haven't preached three weeks in a row, but three, the three weeks that I've preached, I've said that it's not intellectually honest to say that Jesus didn't claim to be God. Remember I said that? Remember I said that? Y'all remember I also said all his contemporaries had issues with him because they knew what he was claiming to be? Right? Okay? So, that's where we find ourselves in verse 7. In verse 8, Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and pick up your pallet and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, I love this story. We see two things about Jesus in this story when it comes to him calling himself the Son of Man. The first thing we see is that he has power over sickness and disease. And don't flip the slide yet because we'll get to it in a minute. But the second thing we see in this story is that he has power over sin. Now, here's what you can't miss in this story. Okay? Jesus has been healing people. And Jesus is chilling out. And he's teaching folks within this home. And there's this paralytic who needs to get to Jesus. But the crowds are too big. They can't get to Jesus. They can't get in the home because it's too crowded. And uh, what do they do? They tear a hole in the roof, like literally, right? Like they literally tear a hole in the roof. They lower down this paralytic man. And what does Jesus say? It's amazing when you look at what happens here because here's this, I mean, just imagine just a second. Jesus is teaching. You hear some you know, stuff going on up on top of the roof. And of course, Jesus knows what's going on, right? We know Jesus knows what's going on because in a minute it says he actually knew what was going on in their hearts and what they were murmuring and complaining about, right, when it came to the Pharisees. And so Jesus is sitting there and he's still talking and all this stuff. And then, boom, paralytic gets lowered down. And can you imagine just for a second the crowd in the room? Can you imagine that? The crowd in the room. I mean, I mean, I'm not Jesus, obviously. But can you imagine if even tonight as I'm teaching here, not a paralytic person, but just some random person all of a sudden fell through that roof right there? I mean, by the way, the shape this building is in, it might could happen, right? Y'all know what I mean? Like, can you imagine that? By the way... I don't remember which one of you it was I took to lunch that said this, but I took one of you guys to lunch uh, after like the second week of classes, and I'll never forget, y'all walked in the building and all the lights were on, and uh, I, I took so many of y'all to lunch, I don't remember which one of you said this, but one of y'all said to me, he said, wow, this place looks really different with the lights on, you can see how run down it is. <laughs> That's why we keep the lights low, right? Okay, but listen, I mean... Even in the shape this building's in, right? If somebody was up there in the chapel and somehow got through that floor that's in the chapel and all of a sudden just fell through like one of these little roofs, these things in the roof up here, like we would go, what is going on, right? Right? Hey, true story. I was teaching in a school one time and we had a kid who uh, had gotten kicked out of his house because he had acted like a fool. He was like a junior or senior. 
And uh, so what he would do is because we had showers in the, in the, the locker rooms and all this stuff, obviously, is that he wasn't going home. And so literally what he would do is he was like chilling out up in the roof in the school. It had one of these drop roofs like everything else. And he would go hide up there in the roof up in the school. And then he knew how to get down into where the locker room was. And he would drop down. He'd take a shower. He'd get ready and come to school. And he had him like a whole little setup up there. He'd apparently been kicked out of his house for like two weeks. And, and so he had slept on like a couch with a friend or whatever. And then he didn't have nowhere else to go. I mean, it's really kind of sad when you think about it. Dude's homeless because his parents kicked him out because he was acting like an idiot. And so he's literally sleeping in the roof of the ceiling. And I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. I walked in the school building one day. And uh, apparently he'd slept a little late. And he was in a panic to get out. And uh, so one hallway over from where my classroom was... Uh, I, I walk in the school and uh, some of the teachers like, hey, Tommy, you need to go down around the corner. This is crazy. And so I walk around the corner and sure enough, there's a hole in the drop ceiling where this dude had fallen through the ceiling as he was trying to get out of there to go take a shower that morning. Right. If somebody falls through the ceiling, we go, what in the world's going on, don't we? I mean, that's kind of the, the experience. Right. So imagine all these folks sitting around and Jesus is teaching them and old buddy just gets lowered through the ceiling. Like, he's not sleeping up there because he ain't got nowhere else to sleep. No, they've cut a hole in the roof. Imagine the homeowner. Dude, what are you doing? Cut a hole in my roof. Right? I mean, he's already thinking about the legal proceedings that he can go through to get the money back for it, right? And what does Jesus say to the guy? Does Jesus say, get up and walk? Not first. What Jesus says first is what? He says, your sins are forgiven. That's what he says first. And then, what happens? <laughs> Those good old Pharisees. They're over there sitting in the corner because they're there because they're trying to trap Jesus so they can go back to the rest of the council and tell them what Jesus has said so that they can arrest him, right? And so what are they doing? They're sitting over there in the corner and they're listening to this conversation and they're seeing what's happening. They go, we got him. Did you hear that? He just said he could forgive sin. And one of the other ones looks at the other one and says, hey, he just claimed to be the son of God. Only God can forgive sin. And Jesus, you know, you ever had that moment where you say something you don't think anybody hears you? And then all of a sudden you realize they're like right behind you? You know what I mean? It's a terrible feeling, isn't it? And so Jesus goes, hey guys, you, uh, you don't want me to forgive sin. So go ahead and tell me what's harder. To say your sins are forgiven? To literally say, I mean, basically what Jesus is saying here is, what's harder for me as God to say, hey, I forgive you? Or for me to tell him to get up and walk, he's a paralytic. Now, those Pharisees are in a spot now, right? There's no real good answer to that, is there? There's really no real good answer to that because Jesus just told the man, hey, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, uh-oh, this is God. He's claiming to be God. That is blasphemy. There's no way he's God. And Jesus says, well, okay, you want to question that? Hey, I'll, I'll do you one better. It's one thing for me to say your sins are forgiven. Anybody can actually say that. Like anybody can say that. So, hey, buddy. Get up and walk. And what's the man do? Gets up. And he walks. And what's the point? The point is. Is that what Jesus was doing. 
was using the healing of this man to point to the Pharisees that not only did the Son of Man have power over sickness and disease, but he was using that as proof that the Son of Man was actually the Son of God who also had power over sin. Now remember, I started this with this whole idea that Jesus has power over the sovereignties of the world, right? Over every human being, over every living creature, over the sun, moon, and the stars, right? And so ultimately, he's going to redeem all of those things. But I want you to take it a step further here now for just a second because he's fixing all the brokenness of the world. Do you catch that? He's fixing all the brokenness of the world. And where do we see that play out so many times in our life? We see it play out ultimately in sin, but also in sickness and disease, right? Hadn't you ever asked the question, why, do, why, do, uh, why does good things or bad things happen to good people, right? Have you ever had someone in your family who's young and seems to be healthy and they come down with that terrible, awful word, cancer, right? And you begin to question who God is and what God has done and all those different things. But yet here we can turn back and we can look and we can see in this story that Jesus is telling the religious leaders of the day, listen. The Son of Man has power to forgive sin. The Son of Man has power to raise up the sick and the diseased. Now let's hold tight for just a second. Because somebody in the room might say a couple of things. They might say, Tommy, are you saying you believe in healing? They might also be like, Amen, preacher, that's right. Let's get a healing service in here next week. Right? Just hold tight for a second. Number one, who does the healing? Who? Jesus. Number two, what's the purpose of the healing? The point to what? Who Jesus is. Right? So here is my point to that. Do I believe that Jesus heals? Yes. Do I believe that Jesus heals miraculously? In some instances, Yes. Do I begin to question when certain tactics and techniques of healing are taking place in manners in which someone else is getting the glory for that healing? Yes. Should you? Yes. Do we see where we're going with this? Okay. But does the Son of Man, does Jesus have power over sickness and disease? Yes. So, when you or someone you love is facing that, guess what? James says, the prayer of a righteous man avails much, right? James says that when someone is sick, you should do what? He says, he actually says you should anoint them with oil and pray for them, right? Isn't that what he says? Right? And that anointing with oil is just an act of, it's a symbolic act of faith. That's all that is. Nothing special, right? We're not talking about any magic stuff, right? And so what I would say to you tonight is, is knowing that Jesus is the Son of Man gives us great hope in this broken world that we live in, knowing that there's sickness and that there's disease and that there's sin, and all, sin all around us. Because we worship and serve the one who is greater than all those things. He has power over those things. And so we see that he has power over sovereignties. We see he has power over the sun, moon, and stars. We see he has power over sickness, disease, and over sin. And then I want you to see fifth and I, he has power over salvation. In Luke chapter 19, 
verse 9 and 10. And I'm going to just read this very, very quickly because it's just two verses. You don't even have to turn there, but you can trust me or you can turn there if you want to. Or you can take your phone and swipe real quick. Jesus said to him, this is Zacchaeus, by the way. Remember? Y'all remember the story of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in that sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Y'all keep going. And I, somebody else was singing. When you're about to be 42, you can do dumb stuff like that and people will laugh too. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is the son of Abraham. <laughs> That's really cool because Jesus is referencing the whole son of David lineage and Abraham thing for a second. It says, hey, Zacchaeus, you're one of those guys too, physically. And then look what he says. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Why did Jesus come? For salvation. Right? For salvation. Who is it that seeks us out? It is Jesus. Right? Jesus said he came to seek and to save those which were what? Lost. Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Right? And, and, and so what I want you to see today is this, is that the purpose of Jesus as the Son of Man, the purpose of Jesus coming to this earth, living a perfect sinless life, dying on a cross, raising from the dead, is to seek and to save those which are lost. That's the business that he was about. That's his father's business, right? And so guess what that means for us? What business should we also be about? The lost. I preached a sermon one time where the entire premise of the sermon was, I actually titled it, Lost People. And in my conclusion, I asked a whole bunch of questions in relation to the church. And guess what the answer to all of them was? Lost people. Why? Because here's the point. The point is, is that for you and for me, we have a gift that comes from the Father through the Son. Right? And ultimately, that gift is the gift of salvation. And if we are going to be responsible with the gift that we've been given, what we will do is we will get about his business, the business of the Son of Man, which was to seeking to save those which were lost. So the Son of Man has power over salvation. Not only does the Son of Man have power over salvation, but the Son of Man, check this out, the reason he can have power over all these things is because he has the power of the Father. He has the power of the Father. When you turn back to Matthew chapter 26, listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, verse 64. We read this actually the other week. But this is big and important and you can't miss it. Jesus said to him, you have said it to yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. The image that we're given there is that Jesus is in heaven sitting at the right hand of the throne. Y'all have heard the phrase, right-hand man, right? It, it, literally, that's the image. Jesus is God's right-hand man. Jesus has the power of the Father. Jesus has the power of the Father. Now, what's interesting is, is that this is the same reference to Jesus before Caiaphas, just like last week. You can also find that reference in Mark chapter 14, verse 62. But ultimately, what we see is that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and in Mark chapter 2, verse 7, which we read just a minute ago, we also find that he has the same power as the Father. Remember, it was the Pharisees that said, who can forgive sin but who? God. Right? 
Who can forgive sin, but who? God. And so when Jesus says that he's the son of man, he's literally claiming his divinity. He's claiming the fact that he is equal with the father because he has the same power to forgive sin. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 30 and 31, we read about this great power that he has and this great glory that we have. And in Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, as we read just a minute ago, we're reminded that, that his dominion is going to last forever. So it's not just a great power and a great glory, but it's an eternal power. It's an eternal power. And so ultimately, when we think about who is Jesus as the Son of Man, you've got to look back to where he references himself as the Son of Man and notice then the connection that he makes to the Father. And in making that connection to the Father, what we realize is that Jesus has all the power of the Father. That's part of the reason and the way that we understand Jesus as being part of the Godhead, as part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? Because they are of the same substance, which means they have the same power. They have the same power. Not only does Jesus have the same power of the Father, but I want you to notice here last tonight, He has power over suffering, even death. He has power over suffering, even death. So here we find ourselves in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. I just want to read these four passages to you, and you just listen as I read tonight. In Mark chapter 8, verse 31, it says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. In Mark chapter 9 verse 31, For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him and after he is killed he will rise the third day. In Mark chapter 10 verse 33 through verse 34, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom of many. Jesus, as the Son of Man, came to this earth, lived a perfect sinless life for one purpose. It was ultimately the purpose of suffering and serving so that he could then overcome death, sin, and the grave so that you and I could have eternal life. I want you to think with me for just a second back to the beginning of this story tonight or the beginning of the sermon tonight, as I should say, as we looked at Daniel chapter 7. And I want you to be reminded that Daniel chapter 7 happened many, 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 many years before Jesus came to the face of this earth as a human. But yet Jesus shows up and Jesus begins to use this term over and over and over again to reference himself as the Son of Man. And what Jesus is doing for us is painting this picture of the fact that A, He will return one day. And we talked about that last week as the promised and prophesied Son of Man. But within that promise and within that prophecy, what Jesus does and the way that He lives His life and the way that He dies for us is Jesus exemplifies for us what it means to have the power of the Son of Man. See, here's the reality of it. The reality of it is that Jesus as the Son of Man is going to be just fine for all of eternity, right? Because He will be, he'll be recognized as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords one day. He will reign over all kingdoms and all dominions one day. And He will reign over a new heaven and a new earth one day. He will return 
to do justice and hand out justice upon this earth that is broken and sinful and messed up with the promise and the hope of creating a new heaven and a new earth. But here's what I think we do as Christians sometimes. We say, I recognize that Jesus is the Son of Man. And I recognize that He's going to make sure I'm okay for all of eternity. We come to Jesus. Maybe you came to Jesus as a little kid because you didn't want to go to hell. And you wanted to go to heaven. And you recognize that Jesus is the promised and the powerful Son of Man. Maybe you didn't call Him that. But you recognize that He was the one that that God had promised. And He was the one that came and died for you and rose three days later. And you recognize that through His death, burial, and resurrection that you could be forgiven of your sins and that you could be saved. And that that meant that one day you would spend eternity with Him in heaven. But here's where I think we miss it sometimes. See, the truth of the matter is, is that if the Son of Man has power over sickness and power over sin, right, and power over suffering, and power over all these other issues that we face in a broken, sinful, dark, messed up world, then listen to me. Why is it then that we trust Him with all of our eternity, but we don't trust Him with the things we're going through on a day-to-day basis? Think about your life for just a second. This isn't a long closing. This is just going to be it, and we're going to move on. I want you to think about your life for just a second. Think about how many times you found yourself dealing with the brokenness and the sinfulness of this world. Whether that's through sickness, whether that's through disease, whether that's through sin in your own life, whether that's through suffering that you're facing, whatever the issue may be. And how many times have you tried to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, as old people used to say? Y'all don't even know what that means, do you? doesn't even make any sense does it right because can you grab your bootstraps and pull yourself up i mean you can try but where are you going to fall probably on your what face i'll never forget i was in a little children's church one time and they brought they brought like a a clothes basket y'all know what i'm talking about and they stuck us in the clothes basket. they literally picked us up and they stuck us in the clothes basket and they literally said hey try to pick yourself up right now And like, one after another, guess what kids did? They try, they look real stupid doing it, and then they try, and then one kid would like try to jump and do it. That was kind of scary, I shouldn't have done that dead. And one kid fell on his face, y'all get what I'm saying, right? Because you can't do it. Hear me. Jesus is the Son of Man. So if He is your Savior, You are serving one who is all-powerful. Because that's who the Son of Man is. Not only did He prove it by being the promised prophesied one, but He proved it in how He lived His life. And how every time He did something, not every time, but a whole lot of times, when He did something crazy powerful, He'd go, yep, that's me, I'm the Son of Man. That's what the Son of Man does. So how about what we do as Christians and believers tonight is this is we recognize that if Jesus is the Son of Man, is powerful enough to save us, then He is also powerful enough to sustain us as we deal with this messed up, broken world that we live in. With the promise that one day He will return because of who He is. Does that make sense? 
So here's the, the conclusion. Here's the call on your life tonight. If you're sitting there tonight and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to trust Him for all of eternity, start trusting Him now with the things you do and deal with every day. Start trusting Him now. You got that relationship that seems to be broken with someone in your family or friend? Hey, give it to Jesus. Let Him heal it. Let Him fix it. Right? You got that area of sin in your life and you're like, man, I just want to hold on to this. Well, it, then repent. Or, man, I've been struggling with this. I've tried to repent. I've tried to, tried to do it on my own. I've tried to get out of this addiction that I'm dealing with. I've tried to get away from this sin that just seems to hold on to me. Give it to Jesus. He has power over it. Right? Man, I got this person in my family or someone I love or care about and they're, they're struggling with this sickness in their life. You can worry about it and try to figure out what all you can do to fix it or you know what you can do? In brokenness and humility, you can give it to Jesus. He's got power over it anyways. I, I'm not telling you if all of a sudden you give it to Him that all of a sudden they're going to get healed. That's not what I'm telling you. They may. But what I'm telling you is even if they don't get healed earthly, like if they know Jesus, they're going to be okay. Give it to Jesus. Why? Because he is the promised and the all-powerful son of man. And if he died for you and me so that we could live eternally, don't you think he wants us to live for him now and to trust him now and to serve him now and to give it to him now? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you would like to know more about us, visit our Instagram at UGABCM or visit us on our website at UGABCM.org. We hope you enjoyed and we'll see you next time.